I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. When Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his I Have a Dream speech in 1963, a young Stephanie T. Bolden was right there listening from the crowd. There were people there of all different colors, races, and nationalities. And that was very, very much inspiring. And it was enough to uplift me as a, as a young student. Today, the legacy of Dr. King lives on. And as people reflect and honor the civil rights leader, we'll go back in time with Representative Bolden, who shares some inspiration for younger generations. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, you're listening to Whip Count. Thank you for joining us on Whip Count. Stephanie T. Bolden is with us today to discuss the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and how the civil rights leader inspired her throughout her career and more. Representative Bolden, take us back to 1963 to the March on Washington. You were a student from Howard High School at the time? Yes, I was, and I was in the 11th grade. Uh, uh, and I remember at the March on Washington, when I was an 11th grader, I was way, way in the back. But of course, you could hear uh, each person as they spoke uh, regarding the importance of us getting involved and our constitutional rights. So this was a, an education for most of us as youth, young people, as well as um, uh, the adults. Uh, that were there. And the main thing about that particular March of, of 63 in August was the fact of the diversity. There were people there of all different colors, races, and nationalities. And that was very, very much inspiring. And it was enough to uplift me as a, as a young student then uh, preparing to go on to college to get involved and try to do the best I could in the state of Delaware and in my neighborhood. One of the things I love about this conversation with you is the fact that, you know, this is my first time actually talking to someone who was at the March on Washington. Describe the atmosphere. I know it was really crowded from mm -hmm. pictures, but just the emotion in the audience. Yes, the emotion was one of tears, uh, happy tears, people hugging, uh, conversing, even if you didn't know them, uh, telling their whole stories or their experiences. And as a young kid, as a teenager, that was truly amazing to me. Of course, I had so many stories to tell anyway. But <laughs> I was able to listen because I, I acquire so much from people just listening to my elders and learning from them. Um, and it's it's amazing because I'm really claustrophobic and I think that was maybe why the one of the reasons I was way in the back because I don't know what I would have done if I was stuck between a crowd and couldn't see the front or the back you know so it gave me the opportunity just to be able to walk the perimeter and and listen and converse with people uh, that were just it, it was great and I think that's why I'm a hugger today because we always everybody was hugging and uh Tears were coming down, but 
they were just so emotional with the message that was coming through, that message that gave us hope and not despair and the ability to want to go forward and to do. We were all fired up, fired up. And that was the best part of my early childhood memories that I can always fall back on and love to share. It sounds like it. It sounds like that experience really sparked something inside of you and inspired you, even as an educator, would you say? Oh, most definitely. Um, Again, I always refer back to the teachings that I have and how important education is. Our parents were people that had not actually had the opportunity to go to college, so they always emphasized the importance of college for us and always emphasizing to give back to those that may not have had what you have. But as you go through and you learn, you must each one teach one and teach one that can be successful in their endeavors, uh, setting short-term goals and long-term. So uh, teaching, because of the teachers we had, the majority of, of young people in my age group became teachers, educators. And, and to this day, they have been in there over 30-some years, uh, teaching some as long as 40. But it was because of, of that inspiration from, from their experiences and the drive for us to learn more and do more for each other and one another that put me into uh, the educational field. And I chose high school because I think that's one of the areas where kids are most neglected in terms of needing additional help. They think because they're teenagers and then, you know, they're going on with their friends or whatever, and they don't really have to have that trust. But I felt that the trust was definitely needed for them to have someone that they could talk to and have trusted in sharing things with. So that's why I chose high school. The rest of my girlfriends, they all chose elementary school. I knew I couldn't work with the little ones. <laughs> I, I understand. So you mean to tell me 30 years in the classroom, Rep Bolden, and mm-hmm. you still decided to take on another profession? Tell us, tell us why. Well, during my 30 years as an educator, I had the opportunity to teach in Washington, D.C., as well as uh, in Boston at Cathedral High School and in, in Bermuda. But the entire time I was an educator, I was also an advocate. So I was an advocate for getting things done from the educational level. For example, in Bermuda, uh, they have what's called forms. So you have first form, second form, third form, fourth form. The fourth form would be the equivalent of our 11th grade in, in uh, the United States. But they didn't have a graduation, nor did they get a diploma. So I was able to uh, institute a program uh, which gave them a merit certificate because they're under the British system. They would not, uh, wasn't concerned about uh, <laughs> them receiving diplomas. They felt only colleges Uh, should receive diplomas, and they wouldn't allow us to wear uh, caps and gowns. So that was one thing uh, implemented in in Bermuda. So that's where I started. However, a friend of mine is the one that looked at the things I was doing. He said, well, why don't you run for office? So that's how I got involved. Wow. Now, every year, shifting gears a bit, every year we honor 
Dr. King with the day of service on the third Monday in January, just pretty much a few days after his birthday, which is January 15th. How important is it for people, young people especially, to serve others or volunteer on this day? So I think the most important things for our young people and for the state and the world to know that it starts with us. And our parents always told us that the only thing they can't take from you is education. So we must educate ourselves. We must be involved in some way, shape or form, whether it's a foster care program, a foster mother or father or a mentor or working in neighborhoods that you don't live in. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. Tapping into the teacher inside of you. What are some things young people can actually do? Uh, First, I, I would like some of the young people to become a part of teen agencies. We have one in the, in the second district, which calls the warehouse and that's a teen center, which also the people there are fantastic. They let the teens run and teach and create the uh, programs they would like to see happen. Everybody has ideas and, and memories or things that they feel they can do to make each person's life better. And that's what we need to do. Last year, my, my day of service was we packed uh, a bunch of um, socks, uh, masks, gloves, uh, a couple of mints in a bag, and I put a dollar in each bag. We folded them up, we did over 100, and we were down at the Sunday breakfast mission, giving them out to those persons there uh, to look. So at least if they're out and they're trying to get help, at least they're safe doing it. They can mask up, they can cover their hands, and they can have a dollar or so for a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or something to keep them warm while they're doing that. So be creative. There's many things that you can do, what you may even do with your family, but things that you can take from your family and put it out there in that community to those that are less fortunate or those areas that need to be spiced up. It's it's important, like you said earlier, each one teach one. And and that's what we should live by today. One of the things I'd like to mention in reference to uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is day of service now, was this day came about in the state of Delaware because of Dr. Al O. Plant, who was one of the only, one of two black legislators serving in uh, the House of Representatives uh, during that time. And he represented the uh, district that I represent now, the second representative district. He was very instrumental in getting this bill passed in the 70s prior to it becoming a national holiday on um, enacted in 1986 by then President Ronald Reagan. One of the main things I think needs to be done at this point is we must teach our children the history so that they will know the importance of having an MLK day, which is a day out of school, which is not just a day to, to sleep late or to go shopping, but it's a day to remember all the sweat, tears, and sacrifices that people made to even get them this day and to have this day as a day of service to others to teach each one of them in going forward to help um, restore restore our, our 
I guess, our, our quality of life as it goes on, because when you don't know, it can easily disappear. Yes. Now, a few years after the March on Washington, thousands united again in support of voting rights. And fast forward to this legislative session, you like to see a bill that you've personally worked on passed uh, that pretty much advances Dr. King's legacy, would you say? Uh, most definitely. Um, you know, I, I just figure as we remember and honor the work of his legacy, that we must also focus on his many uh, purposes, and one being the march on March 7th, 1965. That was the march from Selma, Alabama uh, to Montgomery. And that the purpose of that march was to ensure that African-Americans could exercise their constitutional right a constitutional right which was given to them to be able to vote. We have today the rights that are still being jeopardized in terms of vote voting. Uh, as we can see on the news, there's 19 states that have implemented voting suppression laws and have passed 33 of those laws in the year of 2021, just recently. So I, I think it's important that we learn from what happened but also we can never go to sleep and thinking it's there permanently. Uh, at the federal level, they're trying to um, also get the, the John L. Lewis voting rights bill passed. Uh, that has uh, been sitting there for some time trying to push it forward. And, and the 1965 Voting Rights Act as well. And here in Delaware, as I've tried for the past four years to um, have our primary at the same time as our presidential primary, which is very important uh, because it would allow more people to vote. And when I'm saying allow, it would increase the number of people to vote. And it also helps the Department of Elections. And it, the confusion that our primary has created uh, has uh, just been unjustified. If we could vote at the same time, I think it would increase the number of people voting. It would save the state over a million dollars and it would create less confusion going forward. This bill, HB 30, it's what it's called and it's a primary bill. Uh, I'd like to see named after uh, former commissioner Elaine Manlove who sat tirelessly every June in that Senate waiting for that bill to be brought forward and being available to testify, which never came to fruition. So um, it's been supported by the League of Women Voters, uh, the uh, NAACP, uh, the um, Urban League, uh, the unions, individuals, several, several people, and yet it has not been able to um, be put on the agenda for the Senate. So it's up again this year being the fourth time and it has passed again, bipartisan, in the House. Over 37 uh, legislators in the House voted for it out of 41. But the bill is there. It's a good bill. I believe the votes are there in the Senate if the people, the leadership, and the um, election committee of the Senate would bring that bill forward and put it on the agenda to be voted for. And I think it's only fair that it has the opportunity to be voted on up or down. It will show the citizens of Delaware who actually feels 
that their vote is important and that everyone should have the opportunity to vote and it be convenient for them to vote. Otherwise, it becomes a voter suppression bill if you don't want people to be able to vote and the easiest way is that they can all vote at the same time when they go for the presidential election. Mm. Well, thanks for giving us that overview. I'm sure our listeners will be paying attention this legislative session. Uh, really quick, you you had some good things to say to some young people, but anything else you'd like to add? Well, the biggest thing would be able to stop the hate, uh, to realize that each of us has our own story. Each of us has a different background, and some may even have the same background. But it's important that love can solve all things if we believe and have faith. The um, Delaware is, 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 is a great state. It ha- it's had its flaws, but a lot of them have been corrected. It's a state that has just cause, you know, that's based on the needs of Delawareans. And we have not been a state with suppressive methods of laws. Uh, so uh, I, I think this is a unique state that allows people to vote. And uh, we, if you look at the laws that we've passed in the past few years, we have not implemented any voter suppression laws like other states. And the right to vote freely for a candidate of your choice is of the essence of a democratic society. And any restrictions on that right is at the heart of the representative government. Any good suggestions or reads you'd like to recommend to help our listeners understand Dr. King more? Everybody remembers the I Have a Dream speech because it, it was his dream. It was the dream that he felt that he could be able to see one day, even though he said, I won't get there with you. However, he went on to proclaim that dream, but the Birmingham uh, jail uh, letter is the one that I would like people to read because I think that is the essence of his memory, his legacy, and the history. As we come to a close, I like to play a clip from Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. Let's take a listen. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. Any last words, Representative Bolden? I think now is the time, if we're going to use or do a rendition of his speech, that we need to stop and explain each part of it. Because I have a dream that one day, and then he goes on to talk about his children, his four little kids. But what it means to us today and with our children, yes, he had the dream of that. Those kids were very successful. They were able to go to right the schools that they needed to go to, even through all of the things that hampered um, those days back then. However, our dream now should be about our kids going forward. Our dream should be about the education that our kids should be getting and not failing. It should be about the schools that they can go to again in their neighborhoods. It should be about the teachers that want to come into these schools and teach our kids. And it should be about the graduation rate going up for our children. 
So each part of that dream talks about something that is going on today. It's time for us to relate the things going on today to the words of that dream and make the change come about. Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dehousedems, on Twitter at dehousedems, on Instagram also at dehousedems. More episodes are coming, so make sure you're subscribed.